thing. That's for sure. Um, talking all football here. A lot going on. Joining me now is Brian Batko from the Post Gazette. Covers the Steelers and everything else. Uh, and uh, Brian, obviously, we uh, have been talking a lot about Allen Robinson. Um, but the larger discussion to me is the fact that Omar Khan and Andy Weidel have seemingly done a pretty good job of giving themselves a little bit of wiggle room when it comes to the, uh, the draft, haven't they? Yeah, I would say so, Paul. I mean, they've, uh, they've made it so that it's really difficult to, to pin down what the Steelers' biggest need is, even, what are we now, eight days away from the draft. So it's, it's generally not that difficult. I mean, you, you've been doing this uh, a long time from the columnist and, and sports uh, radio host side of it. You know, you think of the last four or five drafts for the Steelers. I mean, last season it was pretty obvious they needed a quarterback after Ben retired. The year before that it was pretty obvious they needed a running back after they let James Conner walk. The year before that, wide receiver was at the top of their needs. And then in 2019, everybody knew they wanted one of the Devons at linebacker, and they, they moved heaven and earth to, to go get it done. So this year, if nothing else, Omar Khan and Andy Weidel have made it quite the guessing game, quite the dartboard for us to throw at for another week before they're actually on the clock. Yeah, I mean, I think the big thing now is everybody's got to try and figure out and line up to try and sort of figure out what they think the Steelers are going to do. But I don't know that there's anything really 100% obvious. Um, There's some areas where you could probably think about, you know, okay, they probably need this or that. But if you now had to put together a list of the priorities, what would they be? Well, they, you just look at what they did and didn't do for the most part this offseason. You know, offensive tackle, they didn't do much. They signed a journeyman type of guy who I'd be shocked if LaRaven Clark ever asked to start a game for the Steelers. If he does, something probably went wrong. So I, I still tend to think that upgrading Dan Moore Jr. and or Chuksu Korafor is on the top of their priority list. Same kind of goes for corner where – Yes, you added Patrick Peterson as your big free agent splash right at the start of things, but that was also really to replace Cam Sutton. So it was one corner in, one corner out. You, you still probably need to get better in, in that group given uh, you know the, the poor play at times last year. And you also just kind of take a look at you know who they've brought in on the south side for these pre-draft visits, which they generally tend to take a a good number of those guys who they meet with in person in Pittsburgh. And, um, you know, they've got six D linemen and uh, two edge rusher types, and they've got eight offensive linemen who came in here. That accounts for about half the visits. So uh, I think they really want to fortify the trenches and even all the moves that they've made in, in free agency aren't going to preclude them from investing in a franchise type player if they see one in the first round there. Yeah, um, I, I think that that's the big big question now for guys like you who are going to do mock drafts and all the other stuff between now and next Thursday is sort of trying to figure out what it is the Steelers might do with their picks. But now they've got three picks, really, uh, in what, the top 50. So not only you know do they have some flexibility in terms of position, but they also have some flexibility in terms of, you know, when they go for those players because 
they do have a cut, you know, three pretty good, pretty high picks. Um, do you think that uh, there's any chance we've heard people talking about trading, you know, bundling them in trading uh, or or whatever? I mean, do you think there's any chance of that happening? For sure. I mean, I I don't think we know really what to expect from Andy Weidel and, and Omar Khan at this point. I would have told you a week ago there was probably no chance of them sniffing around Allen Robinson, and yet they uh, were the team to swoop in and, you know, I'd say take him off the Rams' hands, but you know, at the same time, it's it's a very low risk deal for them. So um, that, that's that's definitely on the table. Omar Khan is going to, you know, he's going to try to make his mark in whatever way he can at the moment. Whether that is, you know, staying standing pat and taking best player available, or making a trade up, making a trade down, he's going to try to do what's best to improve the team in, in his first draft. And obviously, with Andy Weidel and as his right-hand man, and, and Mike Tomlin, of course, having a say in things, too. So I think what's interesting about that discussion and, and tying into what we just, just uh, talked about, too, is you know you can kind of go with the best prospect available within reason, but more so than in, in past years, I believe. So they, they're going to grade these guys, and I think there's a pretty good chance that when they get on the clock at 17, there's going to be somebody they think is a foundational player for them, whether it's an immediate impact guy or just down you know down the road they think can become a star so that that's that's where i think it's it's fascinating too is uh they they can at that spot get a very clean prospect who is ready to roll or uh you know they can get somebody with a lot of upside that they're very confident they can coach up and develop yeah i mean uh i think that's the thing if you if you uh Look at this draft. I think there's a, there's a, there's a lot of different players that can really um, that can really help the Steelers. You look around the uh, AFC uh, North. What are the Ravens going to do? Here's the question with the Ravens, and and we saw that they you know when got Odell Beckham Jr. We saw what Jalen Hurts got from the Eagles. Do you think, based on what you've read and whatever, do you think that we will talk be talking about the Ravens? with Lamar Jackson or without him this year? And if without him, you know, does that mean they've got to trade up to try and get a quarterback? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a big, uh, you know, equation that could go any which way here, you know, not just in the AFC, but in the NFL. I mean, I think the, the signs now are pointing back toward the Ravens and Lamar Jackson putting this behind them and eventually moving to a place where neither side is completely happy, but that's, generally how good negotiations end, right? When you've got one person who's stubborn on one side and you've got one person who's stubborn on the other and both are savvy enough to know their worth and value, you've, you've got to try to meet in the middle to make something happen. So um, it's just – it's every year now it's, it's interesting. And it, it probably gets overhyped by the national media, but how many teams are really in the market for a quarterback in every draft? It, this time last year we were led to believe that there were – four or five or six teams who might want to take their quarterback in the future in the first round. And obviously it was more germane to the conversation because the Steelers were widely viewed as one. And we didn't know who was going to be on the board for them at number 20. Would they have to trade up? As it turned out, they were the only team who who really felt strongly about getting a quarterback in round one. So, uh, you know, you never know what's a smoke screen, what is hype for the sake of hype this time of year and uh, which, you know, which franchise might be kind of, lurking there and, and ready to make a move that surprises everybody either on draft day or, or in the days leading up to it. Right. 
I mean, I think that's the thing. Uh, it, it, the Ravens, to me, are probably the most intriguing team right now just because of the Lamar Jackson situation. Uh, it's not like he's a receiver or a running back or, you know, uh, a really high-profile defensive player. He plays the most important position on the field, and quite frankly, you almost can't do anything until you get that whole thing resolved, can you? A hundred percent. Not only does your offensive game plan revolve around him, especially a player as unique as Lamar Jackson is. It's you know, it's it's not just any uh, top flight quarterback holding things up. It's it's someone whose skill set is uh, one of one essentially in today's NFL. So you you've got to account for that when you're trying to decide the personnel moves to make. You know, for your identity on that side of the ball. But in the bigger picture, Paul, I mean you. You also probably need to know whether he's in or out to decide what you're going to be realistically in 2023. Are you a team that is pushing your chips in the middle and trying to make one last run at actually winning the Super Bowl? That's going to mean spending cash over cap, kicking contracts down the road, dead money in the future. Or is this going to be a situation where it's a little bit more of a rebuilding year and you've got to be smart about how you handle things? I would say so far with you know, bringing in Odell Beckham Jr. last week, the Ravens are leaning way more toward the former. They're going to try to load up for Bear and, and take a take another crack at it, which, again, is, is why, it, you know, a lot of people are reading the tea leaves and believing that ultimately Lamar will be back in Baltimore. Well, we saw what Jalen Hurts got, um, and, of course, it's a couple of years away, but the Steelers better start planning now, right, for what it might cost them to re-sign Kenny Pickett if he's – who they think he is. Uh, I, I mean, I almost don't even want to go to that conversation. It's far too early. Uh, one season in and, and what uh, was it, 14 or 15 starts. So, um, yeah, I mean, hey, generally speaking, there are, you know, these, these kind of 30,000-foot view discussions about quarterbacks and the draft strategy and and what to ultimately do with them at contract time I think in a way it could be a win-win for the Steelers same as it is for any team in that you draft one in the first round if he pans out great that's the simplest part of the game that you've taken care of you you've got your guy you feel like you can win a Super Bowl with um, pay him the going rate and hope that the you know the chips fall your way one of these years if he doesn't work out then you know, there, there really is something to the logic of, hey, you have that extra contract year to play with, the fifth-year option. If, if you feel like you're behind schedule with it or it's just not, or he's just not that type of player, then you move on and, and you, you try to draft the next one and you, you keep rotating quarterbacks in on cheap rookie deals until you, uh, until you just strike fire, essentially. So, um, But again, you know, it's way, way too early, I think, to – to make any of those sweeping judgments uh, on Kenny Pickett, although I acknowledge that year two, the evaluation and, and all that uh, ramps up for sure. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, the other thing is uh, quarterback-wise, Joe Burrow, right? They have to yep. sign him. I think they're going to give him an extension, which means they probably have uh, this year and I guess next maybe even – uh, before like a really really big number <laughs> kicks in, unless they redo it for you know starting this year, um, that th- this is a part of having a really good young quarterback is you can win, but the other part of it is eventually you've got to pay him, right? 
And that's part of the reason why you're starting to see a little bit of a turn, I think, in the overall quarterback assessments when it comes to the age of these guys, right? I think a lot of people at this time last year viewed Kenny Pickett being a redshirt senior, uh, or I guess I should just say a super senior at Pitt, as a negative. And, you know, what does that say about his ceiling? Whereas at the same time, if you get a quarterback in the first round who is pretty polished and isn't going to take a year or two to, to really develop and start playing his best football, well, yeah, that, that'll contribute to the dream scenario where he's playing on a rookie deal, but he can still win, and you've got money to spend on the players around him, and that's when you try to really make that run, similar to what the Eagles and Hurts did last year, what the Chiefs did when Mahomes was on his entry-level contract, and, and obviously what the Bengals did a couple years ago with Burrow, who's the next one about to get paid. So that, that'll be, uh, I'm sure, a talking point when you're watching the draft next week on ESPN or NFL Network or, you know, you're listening to the radio or on our chat on the Post-Gazette website. When these quarterbacks start flying off the board at the top, is somebody like Hendon Hooker from Tennessee going to go way higher than people think? Because, yes, while he is an older prospect, uh, he might be the kind of guy who can step in from day one and be an upgrade over your current quarterback. Well, uh, we have to see what it all transpires. But, Brian, I really appreciate you jumping on with me. And uh, I look forward to seeing your final mock draft. Yes, it'll be uh, early next week, one day. I think I'll, I'll weigh in. Ray Fittipaldo will weigh in. And Jerry Dulac will make his, uh, his, his final first-round pick. And if he's, if he's wrong, we'll all get mad at him. All right. Thanks, Brian. Right, see you, Paul. That was Brian Backo, the Post-Gazette. You know, we have uh, uh, a, a lot of really good workers at the Post-Gazette. I- interestingly enough, let me just uh, transfer. Uh, let me just do a quick segue here because I did want to get to this. First, however, Twitter brought to you by South Hills Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram Peters Township. Visit them online, southhillsjeep.com. Texas on Acre Snyder and Associates Fan Text Line. 412-928-9370. Edgar Snyder and Associates remind you to text responsibly. The f- uh, Brian was brought to you on the fan hotline, which was presented by Nemecol and around every corner Nemecol and creates real-life magic for guests. Listen to Cook and Joe every Wednesday to hear about Starkey's Card of the Week uh, uh, from Baseball Card Castle and Cranberry. The, um, the uh, 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 Pirates play at home. I did want to get to this real quick. Uh, the Pirates play at home this week. I guess I think it's Thursday against uh, the Reds, correct? Yes. Well, there's a little brewing controversy because the ticket takers and the uh, ushers are all on strike. And, Joe, I don't know if it was on this show or if it was on the show over there I do on KDK, but one of them I was actually just kind of spitballing a little bit about ushers and what they make and – you know, they, they, they make nine thirty five an hour, and the uh, national average is $13.80 an hour, and Nutting has, uh, Nutting has offered them $12.40 an hour. So, I had a number of people, you know, calling me or texting me or whatever and basically saying, but you're not taking into account, uh, account the tips. The ushers get tips. So, 
I reached out and a couple of ushers because I was trying to guess what do an, what does an usher get in tips every night. I thought, well, maybe you know, if you've got a big section and it's a it's a it's an important game and everything else, and you're full, you know, it's a full full game and you're in a good section, maybe a hundred bucks, right? Five dollars a person, twenty twenty five people give you uh, you know five bucks or whatever. Well, I got my answer, so I did want to get to this. How much do you think this uh, this usher here worked sixty three games last year? How much do you think he made? In tips last year, working 63 games. It's got to be at least a couple hundred, right? He said $450 over 65 games. That's about $7 a game in tips. He said opening day he made $55. That's the most he made in two years. But the bottom line is cashless ballpark doesn't help. A lot of people, you know, you don't you – don't, they don't take cash at the concession stands and everything else. It is one of these things. Um, there are places in the in the ballpark where you do get some tips, but that's what they make, really. So it is going to be interesting to see how this thing gets resolved. But twelve dollars and forty cents an hour is what or, or what is what Bob Nutting offered these. Uh, Ushers. Now, the other part of that is there's two sides to it. One is they're still way, you know, they're still not close to the national average, correct? Because the national average is $13.80. But the flip side of that is they are getting a $3.05 raise from what they're making. Now, you can argue they're woefully underpaid, which they are. But at the end of the day, if you think about it, um, they are getting a raise. I'm not saying that that's good or bad. But if you go to the game, you got to understand the ticket take the ticket takers are also on strike. So how are you going to get into the game, Joel? Do you have any thoughts on how you can get into the game when there's nobody there to take tickets? I guess if they can <laughs> set up, you know, something with. You know, something that can, you just, you got the barcode on your, on your phone, whatever you scan that and just somebody like there to watch, I guess. Make okay. sure that everybody's entering properly. Here's, here's what I theorized. Will we see Ben Charrington standing at the front? Cause ultimately it's going to have to be front office people, right? It's going to have to be people that work inside the pirates ultimately. Right. Am I wrong? I mean, who who who's going to be working? There? They're going to they're they're not going to go hire like replacement you know workers, so they're going to have to use replacement workers within their own little thing there. That's the point. Which should create some urgency in getting something done and getting yes. all the ticket people back. That's all you need to know. You're Ben Sherrington, Travis Williams at one gate, Ben Sherrington at another gate, right? Taking tickets. I don't know if that's going to happen. I was asking this. Nobody had a good answer for me. How are you going to get in the game if there's nobody to take tickets? The one thing is you could, you know, almost theoretically 
survive without ushers. Theoretically. I mean, obviously you need ushers, but people can find their own seat, right? You have some security guards to make sure that people aren't, aren't acting the fool. But you want the ushers there. I mean, it obviously makes the experience better. And these guys are working for a little bit, living and stuff. But to me, I just think really the most important uh, question is, quite often, how you get this resolved if you're that far away. And I would tell you, I think what's going to happen is they're going to get it resolved somehow, some way between now and Thursday. That's my prediction. But somebody asked, I got the answer for you. I can't remember if I was talking about it on this show or that show, but basically they don't make a ton of tips. Unless you're like in the in the Lexus Club or one of those places where the, the, the high rollers are. And, and quite frankly, I bet you even those guys aren't making that much money because the richest people are usually the cheapest bastards on the planet. So that's really what it comes down to. It's the Paul's Ice Show. Coming up, we've got Dan Zangrilli. It's 93.7 The Fan.